Hi friends, this is Julie Richards and I'm one of the hosts of Community Roots. Today we are doing an Unpack That episode, which is where we take one of the books that I've been reading and share some quotes and some overview of the book in case you want to check it out for yourself or um, have a little bit of a summary of it just to kind of see what's out there to be learning from, what can help us heal and grow. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the book, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Some of you may have heard of the book, um, A Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which is Bruce Perry's first book that was put out years ago that um, has different lessons from being a psychiatrist and working with children and trauma. And this second book that he's done, What Happened to You with Oprah Winfrey, um, just came out last year. And it's a great kind of textbook of what he has learned and what we are learning together in the field of trauma and how our brain works, how things impact us. Sometimes um, people would kind of characterize something traumatic by the event, um, by um, something that sounds traumatizing. And what we are finding is that it very much matters how each individual experiences something. It matters um, how much support a person has before, during, and after a trauma. So when we have certain symptoms that come up, um, things like irritability or um, inattentiveness or um, difficulty with relationships and attachment or difficulty sleeping or eating. All of those things can often be connected to our histories and what we have been through and what we have um, experienced with or without support. Our brain is brilliant at its job of keeping us alive and sometimes there's a cost for that, that it um, can really keep us hyper alert to different signs of danger or relational dynamics. Um, sometimes it can be hard to trust again or hard to feel safe in relationships. And so when we consider someone as more of what's their story? What have they been through? Um, and this idea of what happened to you that Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey talk about, it is very powerful to see that it's not just that people are genetically um, predisposed a certain way, although genes have a way of turning on or off based on uh, what we go through and what our support systems are. But it's very much linked to the things that we have been through. So the more that we can get to know someone's story, the more that we can hear about what they have been trying to endure through or what stressors are continually impacting them, we have a better window to understand who they are and how they are expressing themselves in the classroom 
in relationships, in the workplace, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, we can kind of untangle some of the layers if we understand what has happened to someone. And in this book, I think if you are someone who enjoys like an audible um, hearing the book, this is one um, that is really neat to listen to, whether from Audible or um, through the Libby app to borrow it from the library. Because Bruce Perry's voice is reading his part, Oprah Winfrey is reading her part. And then sometimes they have um, different clients that they are talking about or people's testimonies or stories or things that they have another character read that. So it really comes to life in a beautiful way. So I encourage you if you have an interest in learning from um, like a hearing mode, an auditory method, then it is a it a cool it's a cool book to do that way. Um, throughout this book, Bruce Perry has lots of understandings and diagrams about the brain, about the layers of our brain and how um, all the information that comes into our brain comes through our senses and it starts at the base of our brain before it works its way up into our prefrontal cortex where we are able to really make sense of and use our functional adult brain using P.M. Melody's language or our coping skills or um, our executive functioning. So when something happens to us in an interaction, it doesn't immediately go straight to our highest level of thinking. It first comes through our senses. And when the brain's most important job is to keep us alive, it is going to kind of scan old data to see if there's ever been a time that has been unsafe in the past. And so if there is a certain smell or a certain sound or something feels familiar, and it could be um, the, the tone of a person's voice, it could be a month of the year, it could be a time of day, anything that links for the brain some warning signal to say this could be dangerous, this doesn't feel safe then we're going to have a really strong reaction to it based on that need for survival in an attempt to keep us safe. So that's when our brain goes into like a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response just to keep us alive. And so it can look on the outside like what has just caused this person to have that kind of really big reaction to something that doesn't seem like it should have caused that kind of reaction. But to the brain, it absolutely makes sense. And there's a reason for it. And it's often linked to survival and our histories. And so at any given moment, the brain taking in this data is kind of looking back through the history files of what's happened before. It's looking around at what's happening currently within the room, but also kind of interpreting our nervous systems of the interactions in the conversations and the facial expressions and the tone of voice and the things like that to see if we're safe or not. And then considering what could happen 
and and potential anxieties and fears over making sure that we are protected. The goal of the brain is very much to be in relationship and to have connection. But if it isn't safe, we will default very much to protection. And another little interesting thing about the brain that is kind of hard to imagine, I think, is that people will prefer what is familiar to them. So if they have an abuse history, if they have neglect, then what feels most comfortable and most familiar is to be back in that predictable setting. And so sometimes people in relationships have a hard time discerning who is safe for me and who is not. And they might um, kind of lean towards relationships that are really unhealthy because they follow the same patterns of what they were raised in. And so they, they kind of feel this sense of, well, at least I know what to expect. I, I can feel at home here because this is how I know it is. And even if it's um, potentially something better or healthier, that in fact can feel very risky Like, I don't know what to expect from that. And also, if it's really good or um, safe, what if I lose it? What if that person doesn't stay? Then I can't allow myself to be vulnerable enough to want it or need it. And so it would be better to kind of self-sabotage and not be at risk for losing something that could be so good. So our brain does all kinds of amazing things to keep us alive and to have these um, survival strategies and defense mechanisms and things like that. And this book really goes through all kinds of different um, dialogue between Oprah and Bruce Perry and lots of stories, lots of diagrams, things like that. So I won't be covering that today with you, I just thought I would focus on some of the things that are some key takeaways. There's certainly much more here than what I could summarize, but I thought I would just go through and share some quotes with you that I found interesting or enlightening. And you'll notice that one of the the key themes here that I'm choosing to pull from is the idea of relationships that we heal in the context of relationship. It's also how we are injured, which makes it challenging to trust or to um, be open or receptive or vulnerable to. But it's also um, a pattern for how we can heal. So one of the things that it starts with at the very beginning, and I'm on page two right now, which is in chapter, or sorry, 22, (laughs) um, which is in chapter one, Um, And this is Oprah speaking in this part. Um, And she says, Dr. Perry has helped open my eyes to the ways in which powerful, frightening, or isolating sensory experiences that last mere seconds or are endured for years can remain locked deep in the brain. Yet as our brains develop, constantly absorbing new experiences while continuing to make sense of the world around us, every moment builds upon all the moments that came before. 
So this idea that we start kind of clean slate, let's just look at today forward. Let's not do the work of going back. The main reason that why that doesn't really work is because everything is built and um, interweave together. The brain is using all of that data um, to try to kind of come up with templates for making sense of who we are, what our sense of self is, what relationships are like in the world. Is it safe or unsafe? It's compiling all this data together. So if, if we realize that every moment builds upon all the moments that came before, it makes sense that we don't just look at the moment that we're in now for how we see ourselves or how we see each other or even how we have our stress reactions. It's really linked to so much more than that. And Bruce Perry says, over the years, I've found that seemingly senseless behavior makes sense once you look at what is behind it. And since the brain is the part of us that allows us to think, feel, and act, whenever I'm trying to understand someone, I wonder about that person's brain. Why did they do that? What would make them act that way? Something happened that influenced how their brain works. So again, it's the brain is going to have this job to connect us to other people, to have relationships, but also to keep us safe and to protect us. And one of the things that teachers and caregivers and parents, adoptive parents, foster parents, um, biological parents can really use in their tool toolbox of something that you know, when we read these books and there's so much here, it's like we need a takeaway to kind of remind ourselves, what is it that we're learning about? What's something that I could just kind of focus on or put on a note card or stick on a sticky note on my mirror or something like that? Um, and this is one of the key concepts that is throughout this book um, and that can really help provide a, a safe foundation for healing. And this is found on page 51 in the Seeking Balance chapter, which is chapter two. It says, a consistent, nurturing caregiver builds an internal view that people are safe, predictable, and caring. So the brain is this meaning-making machine. It's always trying to make sense of the world. And if there are people who can be there to be safe and predictable and caring, then there's a sense of I can show up in the world and it's going to be okay. There's going to be people who are with me, people who will take care of me. I can ask for help. I must be worthy or valuable enough that someone would want to show up with me. So if we have like patterns of really intense stress, we actually don't need to eliminate and it wouldn't even be possible to eliminate all stress. Um, what makes stress too much for our nervous system or for our ability to cope is when it's unpredictable, extreme, prolonged. That will create a nervous system that is very vulnerable, that is highly sensitized, that becomes overactive and overly reactive. But if we have patterns of stress, 
that can be predictable, moderate, controllable. Then we build what we would consider is a distress tolerance or resilience or post-traumatic wisdom and growth that comes, and we actually become stronger and more flexible. So it's not the job of parents um, or spouses even or teachers to keep all stress away or to even hope for that for our kids or for our own growth. We need some of that moderate um, kind of challenge as if we were at the gym working our muscles. Like it's okay to have the challenge. We just want to make it as predictable as possible, controllable so that it's not beyond what we can cope with and that um, we could have that strong support so that we become more flexible. One of the things, um, too, that Bruce Perry talks about um, that I thought I would mention, I think is really interesting. It's on page 66, and he talks about uh, rewards and that, you know, so often people are looking for how do we motivate and what would be the best reward that we could offer someone. And he says... um, that there's always a pull to regulate, to seek comfort, and to fulfill that reward bucket. But it turns out that the most powerful form of reward is relational. Positive interactions with people are rewarding and regulating. Without connection to people who care for you, spend time with you, and support you, it's almost impossible to step away from any form of unhealthy reward and regulation. And in this section, he's talking about it in the context of addictions and things that people um, get fulfillment out of by creating this reward cycle. And he's saying that connectedness counters the pull of addictive behaviors, and it is the key. So think about when we're in relationship and nurturing our kids and nurturing our um, significant other, our partners, our marriages, even our workplaces, like what a great um, support we can give to each other and positive energy to have like interactions that are rewarding and regulating, that you have this sense that there's someone who cares for you, that wants to spend time with you and support you That is so life-giving to us. If we could create places like that, that's what we want to be working on, which does not mean that we're perfect. And it doesn't mean that everything is stress-free, of course. Um, But he talks about like how to define love. Um, And love is action. It's the attentive, responsive nurturing care that adults provide. Attentive, responsive, and nurturing. There's action in it. It's attentive. It's present. It's giving loving behaviors that are predictable, that you know that you can count on someone, that they will be responsive to you. They're not going to be tuned out or checked out. And sometimes we find that a lot with uh, relationships 
where someone will say, my partner is always on their phone. They're always on their computer. They're scrolling. They're zoning. They're not really paying attention. We need a sense of being seen and heard and understood and that it matters that we're there, that someone is kind of seeking our um, connection and relationship with each other, that there's mutuality and reciprocity and that that there's value in knowing that that other person is with you and um, just being attentive with you, being connected to you is so important and not checked out, stressed out, zoned out. Dr. Perry says, love given and felt is dependent upon the ability to be present, attentive, attuned, and responsive to another human being. Love given and felt is dependent upon the ability to be present, attuned, attentive, and responsive to another human being. And one of the things that I really loved in this chapter about how we were loved is that Dr. Perry says, it is in the small moments when we feel the other person fully present, fully engaged, connected, and accepting that we make the most powerful, enduring bonds. What feels so impossible about that is how on earth am I going to be fully present and fully engaged and connected and accepting? Like that sounds like perfection. <laughs> that sounds like a dream. How is that even possible? But I think what is so helpful to keep in mind, and it, it's the idea of that 33% of the time we get this right which is not even a passing grade. It's just that intention and working towards it. And then the rest of the time, we're going to be ruptured and repaired and working on showing someone that we're, we're in it with them and that we will hear them and understand if, if they feel like they've been disappointed or let down or discouraged or there's something that they needed from us. So there's a lot of of work that's involved in it, but it's not that we get it right all the time. Um, and one of the things Dr. Perry adds here that is so, so important. He said, um, the most powerful and enduring human interactions are often very brief. And so these little moments, and there's some great stories in here that I'm not going to like go through and talk about. I'll save that for you who want to go read the book or hear it. Um, but it's the idea that when someone remembers the most meaningful times they've had with someone, it's often the little things. It was walking the dogs together or having a bowl of cereal or a cup of tea or just running some errands or doing household tasks or the drive to school or things like that. It's these little tiny moments. It's when we are able to really feel the most connected and seen and heard is in the very normal day-to-day -day interactions. It doesn't have to be something super amazing and impressive. So it's encouraging to just think that's actually how we heal is in all those little moments. I thought this, this was interesting. This is in the chapter on the spectrum of trauma. 
which um, talks about the ACE study, and this is in chapter four. Um, they say that our major finding is that your history of relational health, your connectedness to family, community, and culture is more predictive of your mental health than your history of adversity. Connectedness has the power to counterbalance adversity. So that's huge that the things that we are doing, these small moments that are mattering, are actually working to promote and strengthen our mental health and that that makes even more impact than our adversity, that we can actually counterbalance adversity with more connectedness. I think that's really good news. That's super exciting. Let's see what else is in here. Dr. Perry says, um, this issue of time and timing is so important. The neural networks involved in relational connection and regulation are very responsive to moments. This means that a meaningful dose of therapeutic interaction isn't 45 minutes once a week. When you're dealing with an intense trauma, we found that the tolerable dose is only seconds long. Isn't that amazing? He's not saying he's against the idea of therapy, but that it has to go so much into these therapeutic moments throughout the week and the various things that we are doing that um, reinforce safety and healing and support and rest and nurture and all these different things that, that truly help heal our brain and our nervous system. So, I just think that's such a great um, encouragement that neural networks involved in relational connection and regulation are very responsive to moments. It is through controllable, brief revisits that the sensitized system can slowly, painfully be reset. Ideally, thousands of such therapeutic moments can be provided by the therapeutic web of loving, sensitive people in your life. So these little tiny doses of, of healing that can happen when we have these brief moments that the very sensitized, raw nervous system can feel a sense of safety and connection. It can actually be rewired and experience life differently. They say it is the therapeutic dosing that really leads to healing. Moments, fully present, powerful, but brief. So think of that in the sense of maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your um, relationship with your partner, with your kids. What are the little moments that I can be more intentional with? Um, and what would it look like to just really prioritize some quality with that, even if it's in really small doses. Maybe it's in just a couple minutes that are so much more intentional to put your phone away or to turn off the TV or to give eye contact whenever you have a family member asking for help or support or feeling um, particularly tender or raw or emotional and they need someone who can just kind of be with them through that wave that kind of comes through. 
um, Dr. Perry talks about um, what what kids are looking for, what people are looking for in this distracted society that we're living in is that they want full engagement. They want you to be present. The inability to be present, really present, has a toxic impact on healthy development. The infant's brain is trying to make sense of the world. And because we are social creatures, a crucial part of this is building a sense of belonging. I matter. I'm one of the clan. This comes from getting specific you matter signals from others, especially your family. And it requires not partial attention, but fully engaged attention. I'm looking at you. I'm listening. I'm right here with you. Isn't that awesome? Don't you get a sense of feeling valued or cared for whenever someone really pauses what they're working on and they, they look to give you their full attention? That is such a sense of quality care and time and love and that you really do matter. And we're all in, in need of that. We're all in need of that. Let's see, a couple more things here. One of the things he talks about, um, and this is in the chapter called From Coping to Healing, he talks about um, therapy. And he says, most people think about therapy as something that involves going in and undoing what's happened. But whatever your past experiences created in your brain, the associations exist and you can't just delete them. You can't get rid of the past. Therapy is more about building new associations, making new, healthier default pathways. It's almost as if therapy is taking your two-lane dirt road and building a four-lane freeway alongside it. The old road stays, but you don't use it much anymore. Therapy is building a better alternative, a new default, and that takes repetition and time. Honestly, it works best if someone understands how the brain changes. So we're looking at this investment of repair and reparative experiences that sometimes happen in beautiful ways when you have a really great therapist. And if you aren't able to have therapy, um, perhaps even Community Roots is a place that you get to know um, our community of talking through mental health foundations and things that can support your own healing and growth and and having a sense of getting to know us in relationship. Um, one of the things that um, Bruce Perry is talking about in his chapter on post-traumatic wisdom is this idea of relational poverty and that we're really um, isolated in our culture and how much we need each other. Um, he says the tragedy of the modern world is that community is harder and harder to find. And there's a direct relationship between a person's degree of social isolation and their risk for physical and mental health problems. But when you do have connectedness, you have built-in buffers 
for whatever stress or distress you experience. That's what our hope is for Community Roots. We are excited to be here to walk with you just as authentic human beings that we are we're on this planet with you trying to figure it out and doing our best job to show up and be vulnerable, um, be transparent, share the struggles, share the victories, share some laughter and some depth and a whole range of different emotions. Um, That kind of connectedness is a lot of what Bruce Perry is talking about in this book. He says the core elements are awareness coupled with connectedness. And together, these can create a trauma-informed community. When you're able to really see another person, that's true compassion. And extending yourself in compassion to another human being changes the nature of our relationships, our communities, and our world. The acknowledgement of one human being by another is what bonds us. Asking what happened to you expands the human connection. So I hope this unpack that has been inspiring for you in some way. Even just one little nugget, even just one part of it. Dr. Perry closes with saying, The overall trajectory for humankind is positive. Our world is filled with so many kind, capable, and creative people. We are a curious species. We will continue to discover, invent, and learn. We can make our world a safer, more just, and humane place for all. We are so glad that you are with us on this journey. We would love for you to reach out, contact us, send us an email, communityroots.pod at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media, Instagram or Facebook. Um, we'd love to hear how these ideas and concepts are, are landing for you and what um, things you would love to hear us talk about in the coming year of topics and things that would be um, an encouragement to you or something that you're curious about and wanting to grow in. We are excited to be with you on this journey And thank you so much for being a part of the community here at Community Roots. We'll see you next time.